So we left off last week in chapter 11 with the gospel spreading, and today we begin in chapter 12. This chapter seems more kind of like a Netflix series. Believers are being persecuted, they're being killed, there's a prison break, a king drops dead. So basically it has all the making for exciting drama. Um, So we start off with King Herod Agrippa, the king of Judea. And here's how it starts. It says, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So the Jewish people were not happy with the spread of the gospel, the spread of Christianity among the Gentiles. So they wanted the movement stopped. Herod wanted to please the Jews, and and that was basically, historically, Herod's thing. He wanted to please the Jewish people, so he went after the leaders of the movement. Now, you probably remember Jesus selected 12 when Jesus was doing his ministry, but there was three leaders that stood out. They were the ones that were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. So Herod has James arrested and executed. This was James, John's brother, not James, the half-brother of Jesus. So then it goes on and says, And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Herod saw that the Jews were in support of what he did to James. So now, moving right along, he was moving to the next church leader. We have Peter, James, and John. So he figured, okay, you know what? If they liked me killing James, let me take out Peter as well. So he had Peter arrested, but by Jewish law, they were, there were to be no trials or executions during the Holy Feast. So Passover, followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread, um, Herod intended to try to execute Peter after the holidays. Okay, so that's basically what was going on. This was um, the day of Passover, which was one day, and then seven more days for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So Peter is in jail. He sets guards over him. He sets guards over him. So Peter basically sees what happens to his fellow church leader, James, and good friend and companion and servant of Jesus. So he gets arrested. He's thrown in prison, pretty much awaiting his fate. So here's what happens. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him by, made for him, excuse me, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So meanwhile, the believers were praying for Peter, and we're going to get to them in a little bit. So let's look, and it goes on. It says, Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. So the night before Peter was about to be on trial, he was sleeping. Okay? The night before he was about to be on trial, he was sleeping. Now, I don't know about you, but this is something I struggle with. The night before anything significant, good or bad, I really have a hard time sleeping. Do you? Most of us do, right? Peter had no anxiety. 
He fell fast asleep, even though he awaited trial in the morning. And based upon what happened to James, it was not looking good for him. So he fell fast asleep. It doesn't say how or why Peter was able to sleep. It doesn't say how or why he was able to sleep. But I can imagine that he practiced a few things that he later penned in the letters that he wrote. So these are things you and I can practice when we're worried or we're anxious about something. The first is we pray. Okay, in 1 Peter 3.12, this is words of Peter inspired by God. He said, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So here's probably what was going on in Peter's mind. I am in right standing with God. I am righteous before God because of what Jesus has done for me. So God's eyes are on me. He's listening to my prayers. He's, he knows me. I'm in relationship with him. His face is against those who are against him. Okay, so he knows Herod and all these people that are going to bring him, bring him to trial are against him. So I would only imagine that Peter was probably praying himself to sleep. See, no matter what we're dealing with as believers, God listens when we pray. So if you're anxious or worried, maybe you can't fall asleep, the first thing you need to really do is you need to pray. You need to be talking to the Lord. Pray yourself to sleep. I mean, we've all been there, right? We're anxious, we're worried. We think we can control the situations around us, but many times there's only a limit to how much we can do, right? There's only a limit that humanly possible that we can do. And basically what happens is the rest is up to God. Now, I think that as Christians, and I fall into this trap all the time, right? I do everything I could do, and then I pray. But don't we have to take that order and switch it around? Don't we have to pray and then respond in what we need to do? I think that's the way we need to do that. So, you know what, Peter? Fast asleep. So asleep that an angel had to give him a little hit to get him up. Like, Peter, come on, get up, right? The next thing that I think that Peter probably did was trust. He said, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So Peter knew, I am doing the work of God. I am doing the work of God, and guess what? because of it, I'm actually suffering. You know, people who think like, oh, you know what? I'm following after God. I'm doing good things. I'm serving God. I shouldn't suffer. <laughs> you know what that says? It says, yeah, you're gonna, okay? There's so many places in the scriptures where it tells us. Yesterday when I was talking with the men, I, I shared in James, he says, when you suffer, not if you suffer. He says, consider pure joy when you suffer. We will all suffer, no matter what, okay? We will all suffer. It's not the promise we want to all take home and be like, yay, I'm going to have to suffer. But here's the truth. If you're doing God's will, there's going to be times of suffering. There's going to be powers that be that come against you because there's spiritual warfare going on. And guess what? Satan and his demons don't want you to do good. Satan and his demons don't want you to get the message of the gospel out. Satan and his demons don't want people to trust in Jesus. 
So Peter, I think, was probably able to sleep because he was like, you know what? I'm doing the work of God. And if this is where it landed me, I'm tired. <laughs> so I'm going to go to sleep right now. So he says, they entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Why did Peter, what, what type of trust did Peter have? Well, Peter had trust in what Jesus has done. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he needed a savior. He knew that savior was Jesus. He knew Jesus rose from the grave. He saw him, okay? He knew Jesus ascended into heaven. He believed in Jesus. That's the trust that we have to have. We have to trust that Jesus Christ is our savior. The final thing that I think Peter did was he relied. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Reliance is confidence. Peter knew, you know what? I'm confident, okay? I'm confident. I know I'm doing the right thing. And you know what? God has a time for everything. Things might not be going my way, but at the proper time, God is going to lift me up. Whether it's me getting killed and going to be with him in paradise, or him doing something amazing and getting me out of there. So for us as believers, when we're anxious, when we're worried, when we can't sleep, we just have to realize, sometimes we need to wait on God. Sometimes we need to say, you know what, God? I don't really like this. I don't know where this is going. I see no good way out right now. But you know what? I'm going to cast all my anxiety on you. Because I know that you care for me. Never, as a believer, believe the lie that God does not care. That God has left you. That God doesn't look at you as his child. Okay? God is there. We can assume this is why Peter was able to fall fast asleep that night. So when we're worried, when we're anxious, when we're stressed, when we can't sleep, we can't, when you can't get your mind focused because something is bothering you, these are the three things we need to do. Pray, trust, and rely. So let's get back to the account and see what happens. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And so he did, and he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. So now all this happens. All this happens. And the, the angel is pretty much administering a divine prison break, right? A divine prison break. Peter wasn't even sure this was a dream. Have you ever had a dream that's so real that you wake up and you're like, whoa, did that happen? That could have been like, you know, Peter's mindset right now. And then he's like, is this, is this really happening? I mean, this is what I want to happen. But is this really happening? So then we see this. It says this. When they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord and they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So now Peter, he's out of prison. 
okay? He knows this is no dream. He's standing outside prison. That's why I said this is like a Netflix thing. Could you imagine, like, you know, Peter in this cloak and an angel got him and the, the gate opens all by itself? You know, this is like what we would watch on TV, right? So he's out of prison. He's delivered. He knows this happened. Now, before I move on, I want to take a few minutes to look at some lessons we can learn from Peter's deliverance, because this is going to continue on, but I want to kind of stop for a second and, and look at some lessons that we can learn from Peter's deliverance. The first is, it was at the last minute, okay? The next morning, Peter was going to be tried, okay? He was probably going to be killed. It was at the last minute. Oftentimes, when things are not going the way that we think they should go, we give up. We stop praying. We stop trusting. We stop relying. The truth is, in life, situations are not over until they're over, okay? So don't give up. You know, sometimes we, we see a situation where we're just like, you know, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing seems to be changing. Well, what I would say is, Keep praying, okay? If it's not done, it's not done. Keep praying. This deliverance, last day, last minute. Last minute. The second is God did not deliver James. Think about that for a second. We're focused so much on Peter, but James gets a couple of sentences in the beginning of the chapter. He got killed by the sword, okay? Some say he was beheaded. Some say they just stabbed him. I don't know. But we have to admit that sometimes what we want or what we think should happen is not in the will and plans of God. It's just not. We still have to trust. We still have to rely. We still have to pray. James was a godly man doing the work of God, and his suffering ended in death. But the truth is, is his suffering really ended because he went to be with the Lord. So just because things don't go the way that we think they should or the way that we think we want them to go, it does not give us a license to doubt God. It doesn't give us a license to doubt all the promises, the fact that he is good, the fact that he does care for us. We don't know the exact reason why God did not spare James, but we do know that because of the persecution of James and the early church, guess what? The gospel spread. The gospel spread because of this early persecution. Because now all of a sudden, you have a group of people, a lot of people, right, being persecuted for bringing this message. And then guess what? That wakes up a lot of other people and they say, well, if, if what these people are saying is so important that they're willing to die for it, hmm, I might just give that a little listen. Ever think of that? I might just give it, if you're willing to die for something, it better be pretty important, right? So the bottom line is this. Sometimes deliverance comes, or sometimes deliverance comes, but sometimes deliverance doesn't come the way we want it or the way that we think it should. Anyone, you know, who's lost someone they love or who suffer physically understands that we would write a different story, right? We would write a different story, but we need to trust that God allowed whatever is happening or happened 
And we need to respond the way that he desires us to respond. But the final lesson, really, from Peter's deliverance is this. Deliverance illustrates the gospel. And here's how. A man in a hopeless situation is saved by God. For all intents and purposes, most of us would look at Peter and be like, well, he's dead, okay? He's in jail. His buddy just got killed. He's going to be on trial after the holidays, okay? And here's what's happening. He's in a hopeless situation. And then this divine prison break happens. It illustrates the hopeless situation that you and I are all in before Christ. That everyone in the world is in without trusting in Christ. We are hopeless because we are sinful. But because of Jesus, we have hope. We have hope. And I know that many of you grabbed on to have hope and you trust in Jesus, but you're around many people who haven't. So when you are interacting with other people and maybe they're mean and nasty and you're just like, I don't feel like dealing with these people, just remember this. They are hopeless and they could have hope in Jesus. It really changes the way we interact with people when we look at them and say, you know what, this guy or this gal needs Jesus too. It's not just me. They need Jesus too. They're hopeless without him. What can I do? What can I say to help point them to what saves us? The cross. The fact that Jesus was willing to die for them too. So when he realized this, he's out, okay? He's done. He's, he's out of prison. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So why did Peter go to Mary's house? Now, most theologians believe that Mary's house was where the believers gathered on the day of Pentecost. So Peter must have figured if there were fellow believers still around, because he didn't know what was happening. He's in jail, okay? Nobody was like, text Peter, let him know, persecution's on, okay? None of that stuff was going on. So think about it. He had no communication with the outside world. He had no communication with the outside world, so he thought, well, let me go where all the believers have been gathering. So he gets there, hoping to find some people, okay? So he goes to where the believers were gathered. They were there. They were praying. Remember back in verse 5, the believers that were praying for Peter? They were there. They were praying. Here's what happens. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. So they kept saying, is it an angel? Is it his angel? So they were pretty much considering Peter as good as dead. So this servant girl, Rhoda, was so excited, she ran back to tell everybody, seemingly forgetting to open the door and let Peter in. That's how excited this girl was. The believer said, you know what? You're out of your mind. This is an interesting account about prayer, isn't it? When we really think about it. We pray because we know God hears us, right? We pray because we know God hears us. God has a plan but that plan can be determined by the prayers of believers. We do not know the outcomes of what God desires, so we appeal to him in prayer because we do not know what his plans are, and we pray 
that his desire and that his will come to fruition. But here's an interesting point. They were praying for Peter. Peter knocks on the door, and they can't believe it's him. <laughs> yeah, think about that for a second. They're praying for Peter's deliverance. Peter's delivered. He's knocking on the door. They can't believe it's him. Has this ever happened to you? You pray. God answers yes, and you're like, what? I can't believe this. I really can't believe what just happened. I thought this situation was done and dusted and over. But God did something amazing. He actually answered my prayer in the affirmative. God always answers our prayers. We know that, right? Yes, no, or the very popular wait, okay? We love that one. So here's the thing. They can't believe that the affirmative happened, that this happened. So much so, they were willing to tell this poor little serving girl that forgot to open the door. You're nuts, kid, okay? Here's the thing. Peter was there now. So here's what happens. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. So now Peter comes and he says, okay, here's what happened, guys. This angel came, broke me out of jail. We, we know that. So Peter explains what happened. And then he says, tell them to James, not James, the one that got killed, but James, the half-brother of Jesus, and to the other believers. And then he left. So now the account goes back to the prison. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So Peter was gone. The prison guards were in deep trouble. Because in that day, if you were a prison guard and your prisoner escaped, guess what? They killed you, okay? It was a very good way to keep out um, corrupt prison guards, okay? Basically, they were saying, if you don't do your job, you're dead. So this chapter, now, what happens is this. It closes off with King Herod Agrippa I's death. Now, before we go into the account, I want to let you know that when you read the scriptures, there'll be five King Herods in the scriptures. And the, this, this one here that we're dealing with is the fourth, and later on in Acts will be King Herod Agrippa II, which is the fifth. Now, this short account causes us to ask, why is this here, and why is it so important? So now let's look at the account. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. So there was a scuffle between the people of Tyre and Sidon with Herod, and they wanted peace because they depended on Herod or Judea for their food. So they got the ear of Blastus, this was a manager in the kingdom of the house, to mediate for them. Because Herod, you know, he was on a rampage here. So they're like, okay, we got we to talk to this king and make sure that we're safe. So then it goes on and says, 
On the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of God and not of man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms. <laughs> Let's see. It cut off the end. He was eaten by worms and breathed his last breath. So here we have Herod is struck dead. And the reason is in this passage, he took the glory of God for himself. But the reason the account is mentioned is mostly because of the big transition that it's going to represent for us in our study. Now, Herod was opposed to the spread of the gospel because he wanted to politically keep the Jewish people happy. Okay, you got to remember that. He wanted to politically keep the Jewish people happy. And although the Jews did not like the spread of the gospel, they were not willing to kill the believers like Herod was. Okay, so they weren't willing to step up and put them to death. They didn't want the spread of the gospel, this Jesus, this whole way thing, these Christians. They didn't want this going on. So now, with Herod dead, here's what's going to happen. The gospel is going to spread outside of Judea and Samaria. Do you remember where to? The ends of the earth. Okay, so this is the movement of Acts. Okay, remember, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and now to the ends of the earth. This is, what, this is the fulfillment or the beginning of the fulfillment of the Great Commission and really the purpose of the book of Acts. So now we see this. It says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Do you realize this? No one can stop the word from spreading. Do you realize that? 2 Timothy 3 tells us the word is effective. Hebrews 4 tells us the word of God is penetrating. Isaiah 55 tells us that the word of God is life-giving. Matthew 23 says the word of God is eternal. See, for these reasons, we still have the holy word of God today. For these reasons, it's why we study the word of God. It's why we teach the word of God. It's why we live by the word of God. Because through the word of God, the gospel spreads to the ends of the earth with the message of hope that all can receive forgiveness and eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for each person that's here, and we're thankful for your holy word. We're thankful that it cannot be stopped, that you use servants over the course of history to bring that word to the ears of people. We're thankful, Lord, that we live in a day and age where we're allowed to have a copy of the scriptures, where many of us have multiple copies of the scriptures. On our devices, we have digital copies of the scriptures. We pray, Lord, that we're not lazy and that we use your word for comfort. We trust in who you are and what you've done. And we pray, Lord, that we're agents of that word, that we're ministers of that word, that we're missionaries of that word to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
In your precious son Jesus' name we pray.